Good morning. This morning, uh, I would like for us to consider why we're here. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, I mixed into one of my sermons a comment related to my concern that, uh, for the urgency of people to slow down a bit. In essence, what I was attempting to do was to challenge us all to take a few moments and reflect. Uh, indeed, just as Betty did uh, with us a few minutes ago with the prayer to say, take a moment and actually become silent and think. You know, many of us are running and rushing so fast in life, the idea of thinking is not even in there anymore. Um, so today I want us to think about and to experience worship. And the reason is because when we come together like we are now, we're in corporate worship. The worship experience begins the moment we walk in and we begin to greet each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We begin to uh, find a sense of uh, expectation for what that day should be. And yet, even though I say that, in truth, many of us on Sunday mornings, uh, including myself, get up and we're in such a rush in such a hurry that we're running about trying to, and we keep looking at the clock and realizing, boy, the time is uh, getting away again. And so then we're, we're throwing our clothes on ourselves and we're running out the door and, oops, I forgot something and I have to go back in the house to pick up something and go back out to the car and someone else needs to get in the car and they're not in the car yet. And there are all kinds of things going on. We rush and we rush and we do everything possible we finally get here, we sit down in the pew, and we just, we, we take a sigh, we take a break. In truth, worship, coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ, our goal needs to be clear to us. And that's part of what I would like for us to take a few minutes and think about. I remember when I was in... Uh, school many years ago, that I went and visited one particular school, and they had weekly chapel services. It was a Christian school. So I thought, well, I'm going to go to one of their chapel services, and I went to the chapel service. And on the Saturday, or on the particular day of the week that I was there, it was not a Saturday, but when I showed uh, up in that particular chapel service, they had a dog show, and had dogs jumping. And I was sitting, and I kept trying to reflect how this had anything to do with worship. Okay, God created the dogs. Okay, I guess you can go that far if you really want to get creative. But in the name of worship, there are so many things that are done. One time I was uh, in Malaysia working for several months and uh, had an opportunity to speak at a particular church. Uh, one of my students uh, was uh, a minister there. And after the service, I was already aware that denominationally it had different leanings than what my background is. I'm a pretty conservative guy when it comes to theology 
and my understanding of, of how we're to walk the walk with, with uh, Christ. But as far as methodology for helping people to come to know Christ, I'm pretty open. But that particular day, I can remember the service was ending, and then the pastor of the church asked anyone who wanted to be prayed for to come forward. And he had me stand on one side and he was on the other side. My wife gave me a hard time about this particular incident. Because the people came up and they were coming up and, and I would put my hand on their shoulder and pray for them. And then have them go back to their seat. And I put my hand on their shoulder and pray. After the service, my wife said, well, you were a failure tonight. And I said, oh, I said, I'm, did I say something I wasn't supposed to say? And she said, well, she said, the other pastor, everybody that came to him all fell down backward. They were being slain in the spirit, which is not a biblical principle or anything else, but it's what some groups do. And she was joking with me when she said I had failed. But the point was, in the name of worship, these people were going through this kind of an experience so it's, it's interesting what all we can mix into our lives in the name of worship. But I'd like for us to review a little bit because worship is why we were created. It is why we come together on Sunday mornings. Uh, we're a community of people with different backgrounds, different theological understanding, experiential. Some of you have been Christians for 35 years. Some of you have been Christians for 35 days. We have people who have got all kinds of different understandings of what the Scripture teaches. And yet we come together as family. Our purpose has to be unified and has to be to worship. Yet we, we come together on Sunday really with all of these outside influences coming into who we are. And it, it helps us or impacts us certainly in how we interpret what we're experiencing. For us to come together and slow down and focus on God and not on what we're going to be doing at lunch or this afternoon takes effort, takes work. The Old Testament is what we're going to look at first. The Old Testament understanding of group worship is what we read when we read a few minutes ago from the book of Exodus. That particular scripture challenges us in a lot of ways, but I'd like for us to think about the content of what some of the experiences were for people in the Old Testament. Because worship is about fellowship and is about clarification of our relationship with our Creator. When we come together, we're not just to be here fellowshipping with each other. We're here to meet God. So when our music and our greeting begins our service... The idea is for us to gain something, but also for us to refocus. It's like reaching out and turning off your radio, turning off your television, turning off of all things your cell phone. But turning off all of these distractions and saying, God, you're more important than any of these things. For our generation, that's quite a request. But that is what we're doing when we're coming together to worship. And that is what the Old Testament church understood. Because the first thing that they would do in worship, even as we noted with the story that we just read about related to Mount Sinai, 
we saw that God called the people. God gave them assignments. He called them out. He got them to gather together. And then He let them all participate, but they participated in different roles. They weren't all there to do the exact same thing. And just as it was true with Jeremiah, with Job, with other people all the way through, Abraham, whomever, if you look at Old Testament examples of worship, you find that different people have different roles. Sometimes the role is to sit and pray. You remember Jesus in the New Testament. He just said to his friends, have a seat, pray. I've got something I've got to go do. We have different roles. It doesn't mean one role is important and the other role has no value. It's just we have to find our role and participate in worship. In the Old Testament, the people were called out and they did recognize their role was to participate. Now, part of their participation then, also a third thing that was going on beyond just being called out by God and assembled and beyond the participation was the Word. The Word was central to their experience. Now, written Word, spoken Word, but the Word. The Word of God sometimes was spoken and they were told what to do. Are we listening is a good question for us. When we come together, I mean, if you're Christian this morning, we're here for purpose. This is not just, well, I don't have anything else to do Sunday morning. I think I'll go to church. So we have to think through carefully when we look at this. How important is the Word of God to my life? Or, or is the Scripture that has just been read to us and that we saw on the screen... Was I just kind of watching it through, kind of waiting for it to finish? Or was I really focused on what those words could do to change me and give my life more meaning? Another thing that the Old Testament concept the Hebrews would go through in their understanding of worship, they accepted the directives of God, the Word, with obedience. You remember in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen it says, The whole duty of man is to fear God and obey. So apparently, fearing God, meaning respecting Him, and obeying is important. Now, we're not, we don't live in a society where people saying obey makes it popular. You hear obey and think, oh no, another one of those. But when we have a proper understanding of God, we should hunger to obey. So I want to be a cheerleader to you guys this morning. And I want to be a cheerleader to me. Because I want to say that I don't always do well with that. Sometimes I struggle. Sometimes I have my will. You know, again, when we look at the model of prayer, it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will that I want to have. But, but it's hard to change that mentality and to really know what it is to focus. And the people in the Old Testament were doing everything possible to try to come back and say to themselves, let's focus on the Creator. Let's remember that the only reason we're walking where we're walking, eating where we're eating, doing what we're doing, is because of God. You know, what I'm saying now, it would not be a popular message for lost people. People who don't know God wouldn't buy into this. But if you're a believer today, we have to recognize God's position and our position. We worship. We give praise. 
Because we give thanks and we give respect. Now, how do they do that? One of the things in the Old Testament we find over and over, and some of us were together yesterday afternoon as a, as a, with a worship team talking. We kind of made light of some things for fun, but in truth, the Old Testament view, blood sacrifice. And you know, we tend to say, oh boy, we wouldn't want to have blood sacrifice in here. We certainly don't want to kill any animals in here. That's true. But I remember many years ago going to uh, the Temple of Heaven, Tiantan, is that that's the Temple of Heaven, right? In Beijing. And walking, and I began to see the symbolism because they have a pathway to walk up to the top of the thing that is very, very long, but it's on a very graduated scale. You don't even realize you're walking uphill, but you actually are. And you get to the top of there and, you, and they've got this beautiful temple and they've got all kinds of things. But outside the temple, you can see the spots where every year the emperor would come and they would sacrifice animals in order to make heaven happy. It was blood. It represented life. Without blood there is no life. So even in Chinese history, we can go back and look an understanding that life is important. In the Old Testament, when it talked about blood sacrifice, that was the, the chop, the red chop, I might add, usually in China, that said, this has been done properly. This is appropriate. It counts. I will accept this. When we understand worship, from an Old Testament perspective, we have to understand these because worship is a humbling experience for man. It, it's a time when we recognize the position of God. And indeed, the implication of worship is to prostrate oneself. Complete humbling of all your goals and visions and all your dreams and all of your ambitions to become wealthy or famous or whatever are put down before Him as you humble yourself and say, Whatever you want, God, I will do it. It's not something easily done. But as we noted, in Job, one of our good friends there that went through all kinds of struggles throughout life, the very end of the book, 42 chapters in, 42 chapters of hearing Job dealing with his friends and struggling with the will of God and why he was going through so many struggles, chapter 42 has his friends with him And God says, friends, you keep giving him the wrong advice. If you want me to help you, and you want me to help anyone, you need to go to Job. He is a righteous man. Let him pray. Let him sacrifice for you. And I'll listen to his prayer. God chooses to follow and encourage and support and work with Job because of his hunger for truly being a righteous man. I would challenge you today that whether it's found in the Old Testament or whether it's found in the New Testament, we need to have the same hunger to be people who walk with God and we worship Him when we gather together. Another example we find in the Old Testament, Abraham and Isaac. We know the story 
was that God basically tested Abraham, his only son, even when Abraham was an older man. And God said, you know, I need a sacrifice. I need blood to show that, that you are committed to me and that I can clean the sin. So blood represented life, it represented cleansing, and it was giving your maximum effort as, as sin would be cleansed. Abraham, according to Scripture, he was not only gathered, he was pulled together, he was told a couple of friends there uh, about it. So again, we had gathering of people, we had the action of God, and we had the obedience once the Word had been given to him, what he must do, and he responded. And when he responded, the story goes very clearly, God ultimately changed the direction and did not accept Isaac as the sacrifice, but it provided another method via an animal that was nearby. The point is still the same, though. And that is, blood was the issue. If you want to know why Jesus had to die on a cross... It's because blood had always been the symbol of God. You know, I, certainly God could have done it differently. God could have just said, okay, everybody, forget all your sins, everything will be okay. But throughout all of the Old Testament history, throughout cultures, if you start looking in Indonesia, and you start looking in uh, Papua New Guinea, you look at different places, you begin to find that countries all over the world have always understood blood tied to life. And as we look in the Scriptures, when it moves from the Old Testament to the New Testament, Jesus Christ provided the answer once and for all. Because Christ came as a perfect sacrifice to die one time for the sins of all men. But still, it was blood on a cross. And that's why Christians sing these strange songs that sing along the line and say, Precious be the blood of Jesus. It sounds so strange when you don't understand that the blood is the life it is all God could give. It was His maximum as God said Christ will come and give Himself, sacrifice Himself, even though He didn't do anything wrong. We're here to worship. How can we not give praise to a Creator God that would do such a wonderful thing for us so that we don't have to have a bull here that we kill or a boar or any other kind of animal? We don't kill animals today for our salvation. We don't kill animals to show that we now are uh, safe and secure. We don't have to. Jesus did that for us by giving His own life. When we think of the New Testament, and we had a scripture a few moments ago from 1 Corinthians we can see that the description is that we're one body. We're a united group. This is a good thing. One of the, the values and goals of our church is to see that we are a united body. Be it Cantonese, English, Mandarin, whatever we are, we are one family 
seeking to worship God with our lives. Now, we're not saying worship only in the sense that we come together, we sing a little bit, we feel real good, we walk out and feel happy. We're saying worship and make a commitment. Talk is cheap. We've all heard that term. The challenge for us is do we actually daily live what we experience when we're together as a corporate body? And the Scripture says that we are one body and we are to unite and that that's a healthy part of it as we all have different responsibilities. But we need to remember that in the New Testament understanding of worship, things were a little different than the Old Testament because the New Testament was a time when the church remained under a certain level of persecution because Christians were not following an existing religious practice. They often would use the synagogues. They would go to the Jewish synagogues if that happens to be the background that they came from. But they still added other thinking in that was quite different. And they had worship services in homes. And they met in different locations. So they were trying to be created. It reminds me so much of what we find in China today. One of the things, though, that I appreciate about the Church of China, I can still remember uh, when I was doing a training with a group of friends, uh, and I guess we had about 20 of us or 25, and there was a certain point where uh, one of the ones in the group just very sweetly and innocently asked the question. It was a lady that was probably about 50. And she said, uh, help me to understand something. She said, now I've heard all this church history and everything. Where are we in the story? For her, the book of Acts did not end at chapter 28. There was a chapter 29, a chapter 30, and a chapter 31, and a chapter 33, and a chapter 88, and a chapter whatever, because the church continues to go to this day. And she was saying, we're part of the church. We're still going on. It's still living, isn't it? And she was right. The church is still living. It is still growing. In church history, we're a part of it even this day. Even though we may go through all kinds of different positive and negative, strong, weak, good, bad experiences, God has protected His church for thousands of years. He can protect it a few more days. He's got a way to lead His church for us. And He wants us to be dependent. The elements that we find in the New Testament church when we move into that particular part of it. Primarily, their emphasis was the Word of God and the Lord's Supper. Now, having said that, they still incorporated the assembling of the people and the reading of the Scripture in the same way that the Old Testament does. When you go back and you look at the Old Testament... The Hebrew people had a lot of rules and regulations for when you, do, you read this, you read that, you do this, you do that. You have responsive times and all this kind of thing. The New Testament church began to make adaptation to it. Because for the New Testament church, the worship experience was a reenactment of their history. You know, if you look at Acts chapter 2, verses um, 17 through 42... 
in that section, it goes through where Peter is preaching his sermon, and his sermon is just basically a review of history. And then in 37 to 47, that particular part of it, that's when we see the church changing. And the church saying, we understand what you're saying, what do we need to do? How do we need to live? How then shall we live? As we look during those days, we have to recognize that the New Testament church had challenges, but they were willing to do whatever it took to worship God. So they assembled. They read the Bible. They preached. They had breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, pretty regularly. It's one of the reasons that some denominations, even to this day, have the Lord's Supper weekly. Nothing wrong with doing it weekly. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing it monthly. But the point is, the New Testament church, it was so important to them. And then they had the sending out of their people. Because, and I don't know if you've ever been to a church like this, but I've been to some churches that on their parking lot, they'll have a little sign that says, now you're leaving to go into the true mission field. Just to remind the people, when we're gathered like this, this is the worship part of who we are. This is the good part because we get to praise God. We get to sing songs. We get to pray. We get to hear testimony. This is the cheerleading time, the encouragement time. It's also the time of us meeting our Maker. But then when we walk out, that's when we get tested. Are we really salt? Are we really light? We don't have all the people supporting us and standing on both sides of us, giving us encouragement once we leave here. So things change a little bit. But be it through song or drama or preaching, prayers, testimony or whatever, the Christians witnessed in the New Testament. Now, there were some times that things changed. And around the 1500s, you've all heard of the Protestant Reformation. Up until that time, the Catholic Church kind of had a stronghold on most of the Christian thinking. And around those days, we began to see different leaders such as Luther and Zwingli and different other ones that began to jump in and they said, you know, maybe we Catholics are too opinionated. Maybe we've got some ideas that are wrong. Maybe we need to revisit the question of baby baptism, infant baptism. Maybe we need to revisit the question of the Mass and whether having the Mass is the only way you can worship. Maybe we need to revisit the question of veneration of saints. You know, the reason we use the word veneration is because we try to say that they don't worship the saints. They venerate or respect them. Well, in fact, many actually probably go too far on that one. That's what we call folk religion taking over, but it happens. They visited, uh, we began to revisit the issue of clerical marriage. Was it possible for a minister to be married? My answer is, boy, I sure am glad. I'm glad that one got changed. The Lord's Supper. What the meaning of the Lord's Supper was the Lord's Supper literal, and we've talked about that in here, whether we have transubstantiation, consubstantiation, or whether it is just simply a symbol. Is the scripture for everybody? I remember in about 1963, the Catholic Church had a meeting, and that's when they began to actually make the Bible available to laymen. Prior to that, their mentality was so strong on the priest being the conduit for teaching truth, they didn't care if the layman had Bibles. 
their focus was very much on the priest telling the people what to believe. But around that same time, they came up with a new idea that I really thought was fascinating. And that's when they started calling those of us who are not Catholics, separated brethren. Means we can be, it's possible we might be Christians, but we're going to be, we still have a special label that we get to wear. And I kind of feel the same way about Catholics. That's probably some of them are Christians. We won't go there. Evangelism, another issue for the New Testament church. For them, evangelism was not an alternative. It was an expectation. If you know the world around you is lost, how could you possibly ignore those people? (coughs) My prayer would be our church will grow. Not because I want to see more numbers in here to say, oh boy, our numbers are up. But because it represents us doing something that we should be doing. And that's caring about people. Jesus would care. So as we look at the New Testament church, if you want to know a model for them, they basically had some of the similar things. They had Old Testament reading. They had responsive readings. When they had a New Testament, as time went on, now by the 1500s it was solidly there. You've got to remember the first hundred, couple of hundred years right after Christ ascended into heaven, Bibles weren't around. They were living the Bible. They were the Bible. And so it really took time before we began to have things you could use as, as a note to be able to read from. But as the times went on, that became very much a part of their worship. So they would read history, read back into the epistles and try to learn from those. They would sing songs. They would sing hymns. They would have a sermon. Now the sermon, surprisingly for some people, we would forget, the sermon often was done via drama. They would use things like that in order to symbolize. And indeed, that's what the Lord's Supper is. That's what baptism is. Those are ways of symbolizing things to plant it deeply within our heart that there's a meaning in there. There's a whole story when you see someone that goes in the water and comes up. There's a whole story when someone eats the bread and drinks the wine. It's drama, but it's teaching. It's theology. You can't box those things in different special boxes. We have to allow them to live. Our church today... Uh, our churches all like to think of themselves as New Testament churches. Uh, and I don't know how you would view that, but um, I'm not sure that all of our churches are doing real well as far as being New Testament churches. I've been to churches where I would listen and be in part of the service. The music didn't get me anywhere at all, and by the time I was listening to the sermon, I kept wondering, is there any Scripture reference behind anything that's being said? You know, one of the keys in the New Testament church, they understood one very important thing. Jesus. Yesterday, I quietly had a conversation with a friend who is a minister. And we began to talk about some more sensitive issues that are currently going on in our society. And whether or not we dare, as ministers to deal with those sensitive issues and call a sin a sin. You know, it's, it's dangerous these days. 
And yet when the church no longer is willing to admit some things are sinful, the church is no longer the church. We've become a club and just trying to impress people with our club membership and how much fun it is. New Testament church, it means we have to be risk takers. You don't like being a risk taker. You are already a risk taker, folks. You took a risk when you asked me to come. I thank you for being risk takers because you were so bold. You know, I've been talking with several people about that. Churches really are amazing places. It's a bunch of Christians who are desiring to have someone come and work with them. And based on, very often, not enough information, you dare to call us to come into your church and work. You're very, very brave. And we certainly need to keep praying, and I appreciate Betty mentioning that this morning. Hang in there, keep praying for me. Because... uh, I don't want to get off track and do that which I shouldn't be here to do. But I don't want any of you to be off track either. See, the problem is, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. There's nobody in this room. We don't have, we have what's called priesthood of believers. We don't have to work through a priest to get to God. So all of you have got the same access I've got. So our prayer is important. Our worship is important. Our time of gathering together is important. As we look beyond Old Testament worship and New Testament worship, we have to ask ourselves where we are today in contemporary worship. Our day presents um, a pretty broad interpretation of what worship is. Maybe it's too broad. Um, I, I don't know how you would define worship and what you think is necessary, but I really wouldn't mind asking that question of you. When you have you ever thought about... What are the basic elements of worship? Now, I've given you a couple of illustrations from Old Testament and New Testament. But what is required? Do you have to have prayer? Is it... Do you have to have music? Do you have to have preaching? Scripture talks about you have to have the Word. Now, whether it's preached or not, could be done through drama, could be done through, through uh, music, could be done through worship. I think there are a lot of ways to get to the Word, but it's certainly important that you have the Word. Do you have to have any particular element? You have to have testimonies in your worship service before it's worship. Maybe there are different kinds of worship, and I think that's what our contemporary society is crying out for. But even in the process of crying out for creativity and enjoyment and challenging and this kind of thing, challenges, valuable they may be, but we still have to be sure that the foundational elements are present. And a lot of it has to do with our own spirit and our attitude toward God. The contemporary uh, service content usually would include acts of entrance. Now, that's when we have a welcoming, we have our music, uh, can be greetings, can be prayers. 
we need to have the Word presented in some way. Lord's Supper, testimonies, baptisms, those are ways of communicating. And the issue that's very interesting to me in the New Testament that I absolutely believe we've got to take more serious is the sending out. At the end of the service, we need to be walking out, going out as missionaries. Not in the sense that you're going to pack up and sell out your house and move to Canada. Got it. That was a joke. You got that. I just want to be sure you're still awake. But you don't have to leave and fly away to a faraway land. America. Some other place. Bellingham? No, probably not. But you... You do have to recognize in this city, here in Vancouver, every day we have a chance to be a missionary, if we will be. We need to be walking out thinking about God. We need to be reflecting on Him. We need to be asking Him what we're doing with our lives. Whether I'm impressed or the person sitting next to you is impressed with what you're doing is not the most important part of this. But we do want to be sure that God is pleased with the lives we live. So when we ask about contemporary worship for our day-to-day, the key is, are we doing that which pleases God as we respect Him? Let's pray. Father God, we have... uh, tried to look at how you have worked in the Old Testament. We've looked at how you've worked in the New Testament. We've looked at our own lives. We find that we are less than successful some of the time in the way that we have served you. We find that some of the time our dependency on you is inadequate. We find that our obedience of you is sorely lacking. And yet, Father, we recognize that through the blood of Jesus, You have already cleansed all of our sins. You already knew how weak we would be. And we want to give You praise, even this minute, that You have called us, and we would ask that You would give us the boldness to follow that call and be all that we should be each and every day. In Jesus' name.